when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah. Yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. we got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast, presented by MyBookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And unfortunately, I'm flying solo this episode. College football season finally here. And Cousin Shane, Cousin Joe, nowhere to be found. I do apologize for that. And a little bit of news here. Nothing wrong or anything so no one freak out here but cousin Shane is gonna be stepping back a little bit heading into uh, the next couple weeks he's his schedule just outside the podcast is just a little too rough at the moment and he's still gonna be on the show he was scheduled to be here on uh, we record this the night before so Sunday evening as I'm doing this he was scheduled to be here but just working crazy hours right now and uh, I mean, we wouldn't have been able to record this thing till about midnight, so uh, he's just unable to do it. Like I said, he will certainly be doing podcasts throughout the week. He's just not going to be on all these for the time being, as sad as that is. I know, as sad as, as mad as you are, you're probably turning this thing off right now, but uh, I feel even worse about it. So hopefully he gets his uh, schedule cleared up and we can get them all back on the show to the to be the color man of this show. But, uh, hey, we got some college football to talk about, and we get closer and closer to the season. And, I'm, man, I'm just getting fired up. And who else was with me on Saturday night drinking, watching, Ar- who was a Central Arkansas, Austin P. I didn't even know. I know a little bit about Austin P. just because they're from Tennessee. But beyond that, it was purple and red. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know. I had uh, no idea who to root for here till the game got underway. And, my goodness, after all we've been through, how awesome was it? Opening play of the game. I think it went 75 yards to the house. It was just glorious. And uh, I was drinking. I made a mistake this week, a rookie mistake. I picked up some beer at the, picked it up at Publix. This is how dumb I am. I, I should have known something was up because it was 15 bucks and it was only four beers. It was, it was outstanding beer. I don't want to I'll tell you the name. I'll give you a shout out here. Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. I'm getting older. I don't pound beers like I used to back in my drinking prime by any means. But uh, of course, you know, if you're a listener to this show, we know we always got to kick back some cold ones and talk some football here. But so fired up for this uh, Central Arkansas Austin P game. You know, I was 
two beers deep pretty quick, getting to the third one. And I'll tell you what, I was I was pretty out of it until I realized, well, hell, this beer's got 8% alcohol. <laughs> Kentucky bourbon barrel, you got me. That was some delicious beer, though. I think I'll definitely try that again. Maybe uh, take it a little bit easier the next game day, though, because, hell, I couldn't barely even make it to the fourth quarter. I was so tired after killing a couple of those. But, man, it was just great to watch some college football. I know it was FCS football. Next weekend's going to be even better. We've got several games on the docket, ranging from, I believe, Thursday all the way to Monday. So tons of action this upcoming week. Just cannot wait to get to it. And of course, you know, we're still, we're under 30 days. We're, we're hovering right around 27 days till SEC football. So that's going to be the big one, obviously. And and let's just get right to it because the big news here before we go around the league, just wanted to open with this one. Our first major opt-out of the SEC season with Jamar Chase after already coming out and saying he was going to play, him and his family. You know, they were locked in, ready for the season. For whatever reason, things have changed just a couple weeks here out. And, you know, I certainly don't hold it against him. I've seen some people upset about it and calling him out. But at the end of the day, while this is a huge blow to LSU's receiving core, it's not like they're going to be devoid of talent. There's just going to be some t- There's opportunity now for guys like Eric Gilbert and Racy McMath to step up and become primetime players on this LSU team. But when it comes to Chase, I mean, you got to be honest with yourself, even if you're the biggest diehard LSU fan out there, I mean, hell, I know you wanted him to play. I certainly wanted him to play. But for a guy like that, who is basically guaranteed to be a top 10 pick, maybe even top five in the upcoming NFL draft, with all the uncertainty, I mean, how can you blame the guy? I mean, because what can he do? Hell, he got 20 touchdowns last year. Nearly 1,800 receiving yards last year during LSU's terrific run undefeated national championship team he is going to go down as an LSU legend for the rest of his career but what more could he have really proved aside from you know maybe being individually I just don't think he could do he could have done much more now if he was the catalyst for LSU to repeat in the SEC West repeat in Atlanta go on to another college football playoff appearance yes I mean they may have even had a damn statue outside of the building for him one day but I don't know if I don't know like I said I certainly wanted to see him out there wanted to see Miles Brennan have that number one target Jamar Chase on the field I think that would have certainly helped Miles Brennan this this fall but I don't think it's the end of the world and he just you can't really judge someone till you've been in their shoes. And Jamar Chase just had so much to lose, not a ton to gain. I don't think, like I said, if he caught another 15 touchdowns, what have you, that wasn't going to make him number four pick if he was already number five. You know what I mean? So just not a ton to gain. So this is, I don't want to call it an easy decision, but an understandable decision. And I got no hate for the guy because he just went out there played his guts out for LSU, and he was a major, major reason why Joe Burrow became the number one overall pick, why LSU won the national championship, and uh, I'm going to celebrate him for that. 
You guys ready to go around the league? we got a lot to cover, including several scrimmages here from around the SEC. Now let's go now around, let's the go around the league. Uh, my, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Starting down in Gainesville, you know, we haven't had an opportunity to feature many Dan Mullen quotes since uh, training camp has started, and I apologize for that. It's just, uh, you know, not trying to slight the Gators or anything, but it's been hard to find audio of Mullen. I'm not on these calls. I've reached out to Florida, so I'm trying to get on these calls. That would speed up this process, but uh, we did have some good stuff. Dan Mullen's met with the media here a couple times now. They had a scrimmage over the weekend. This audio actually comes from right before the scrimmage, though, so uh, no comments specifically about the recent scrimmage down in Gainesville, but uh, from what I understand, Kyle Pitts was out as well as uh, Trevon Grimes. So, you know, some of the key targets there for Kyle Trask out. And, you know, really, you know, not that Dan Mullen probably wanted that, but probably wanted his defense to gain some confidence. I would imagine that they did in a scrimmage situation like this with Kyle Trask, Emory Jones, whoever's getting the majority of the first team reps down there, I assume would be Kyle Trask. But uh, without the key targets there for the Gators, probably defense, held its own down there in Gainesville, I would imagine, but something I've been hitting on all offseason, the value of experience, continuity. I'm sure everybody listening to this show is tired of me talking about these same old, same old points, but that's why I've been high on Florida. That's why I've been high on Texas A&M. Dan Mullen, we're going to jump to him in just a second here, but he kind of discusses all that, the value of having experience at the quarterback position and how that really expedited things this offseason with uh you know when they weren't in person they were doing these zoom meetings so that's something to consider this heading into this season i mean dan mullen knows what he's talking about when it comes to developing a quarterback so i think this is some valuable insight and then mullen even kind of was willing to go down this road of having a championship potential down here in gainesville that's what you want to hear And then uh, one last thing, I just thought this was kind of interesting, but Dan Mullen talking about the SEC when they mixed up the schedule. We all know, you know, the story there and adding two teams and everything. But for the Gators, it kind of reversed their offseason work to where, you know, they were ready for Tennessee and Kentucky. Now they got to kick those teams to the tail end of the schedule. So it's just something I hadn't really thought of, but I thought it was kind of an interesting little rabbit hole for Dan Mullen to go down here. How much did it help with the, the situation where when they weren't here and then again when they're back and they're doing some voluntary stuff that, that Kyle and Emery are kind of established, the, the guys know who they are, they already look at them as the guys? Well, I, think, I think part of it in, in the, you know, when you got into the, the part that helps probably 
was when you're doing all the Zoom meetings and all of that stuff, which, you know, I mean, I don't mind Zoom meeting with you guys, but I've about had it with other Zoom meetings, you know? Uh, and the, uh, but when you're doing that with guys that have experience and have played, you can actually get things done. You know what I mean? Because it, you're watching the film and they know what you're talking about. You know, and, and it, sometimes the young guys, I mean, you got to yeah, stand up. Let's walk this through. Let, you know, you can look in their face and get a feel like they have no idea what I'm talking about. When you have guys that already know what's going on, uh, you, when you're teaching, you know they know what's going on. Damn, yeah. Uh, hi, Dan. How you doing? I, I would like to know if you'd give us a few words about the quarterback that we haven't seen and we haven't really talked about much. And since last year's bowl win and he's worked this summer and you've had a chance to observe him, can you tell us about what you see in Kyle Trask, perhaps what refinements you're seeing and what your opinion is about his pro progress at this point? Well, I think it's great. I think we're really working. You know, sorry, guys. Did I just cut you all off? I'm here. Okay. You all disappeared from me. Um, you know, one of the great things we're working on kind of graduate level stuff with Kyle right now, which is, uh, you know, I mean, he understands the offense and the reads and all of that. It, it is how fast he's getting to everything, the ability to check and change plays, the ability to expand a game plan where he has automatics that he can get us to. And, hey, we like this play against this, like this play, you know, and I, I don't love, you know, to get into like three-way or four-way or automatic checks and all of that stuff, the real graduate level stuff of playing the position and how he's managing and leading everybody on the field because – that's a lot of the stuff we're working on right now with him uh, because I think, you know, him, him understanding the offense, he knows where he, we want to go with the ball, what we're trying to do with each play, why we're trying to do it. Uh, and now just kind of putting it all together to let him kind of be that field general out there uh, and let it go. Uh, Coach, a schedule change uh, to open up. You open up with Ole Miss now when originally you were planning to play him later in the season. Uh, how does that change in preparation for them? And is the team more fired up to play an opponent like that compared to Eastern Washington? Uh, the team's fired up to play. But, it, it, you know, it's really funny as you brought that up. We were laughing about this the other day. So, you know, you get your off-season research in the SEC. I don't, again, I, I don't know if, it, if it's all people think about the football that did it this way. But our first two SEC games, I'm not mistaken, right, are Kentucky and Tennessee. We're supposed to be Kentucky and Tennessee. Right? So you do your off-season research on Kentucky and Tennessee and you get all that kind of stuff ready for those early season games, what do they do? Let's ship those two to the end, and then let's move up the two ones that are supposed to be at the end, move them up to the beginning, because you know what? You know, we know we haven't researched them yet. So um, the, <laughs> uh, when you think about it, it would have made a lot more sense to just keep Kentucky and Tennessee there and keep those guys at the end, because we would have, uh, I'm, I'm sure as most coaches, right, I guarantee you Tennessee and Kentucky have, uh, did their offseason plan on Florida as well. And, you know, and like, you know, and then uh, uh, Lane and Will are probably sitting there looking at it in the offseason saying, hey, you know, we got those guys later. We'll have some film on them to research them as the season goes on. Uh, but and then they kind of accelerated them. So we got to get caught up on the research on those two teams. Yeah, Dan, you kind of touched on it the other day a little bit. And I know you didn't want to get too far ahead because things are just kind of starting. But you've been with national title teams. You had a number one team, Mississippi State. I mean, you look at this roster, the ingredients you have, leadership, all that. How far do you think this team can go this year? Uh, you know, I mean, you're excited. A lot of things. I think we have the potential uh, to go compete for a championship and be a championship team. We have that potential. Obviously, there's a lot of things that, that go into that. Uh, but I think we have that potential, you know. Um, 
which is which is really good and it's really exciting. Now, you know, like I've said, being on those teams, a lot of things have to happen uh, for it to play out that way, uh, for it to, to end up being a championship team. Uh, in the end, there's still a lot of other things that have to happen before that would happen, but we certainly have the potential to be. It certainly sounds like Dan Mullen's pretty fired up, obviously about his quarterback position with everything we saw from Kyle Trask last year as one of the breakout stars of the SEC. And then he kind of hints at that here at the same time, talking about the championship potential. This is not something that Dan Mullen has shied away from during his time in Gainesville. You know, he always talks about the Gator standard. And it's not, let's go to the Orange Bowl and beat Virginia. You know, to him, he was there at a time with Urban Meyer and they're winning national championships. And that came, obviously, after the Steve Spurrier era, where towards the tail end of his tenure it was championship or bust so that's what Dan Mullen he's been very open about trying to restore that and I think you know it's not done till it's done not till they actually win a championship but he's got them knocking on the door and I just really like this confidence heading into a season particularly when I picked the Gators to win the East if he was saying anything other than this I'd be a little bit concerned but uh, I just thought those were some pretty good comments from Dan Mullen following a weekend where they had their first scrimmage down there in Gainesville. All right, let's kick it down to Arkansas next. Woo pig! Where the Razorbacks held their own scrimmage over the weekend, and it sounds like Sam Pittman still a work in progress for his program on getting that level of intensity, physicality, and just frankly being in shape to do that. It certainly sounds like he's got his team getting tougher but they're not quite there so uh, Sam Pittman by all accounts pretty pleased by his scrimmage here but you could still hear it in them that you know they've still got a long way to go in Fayetteville Sam Pittman is going to break down the play of his quarterbacks where Felipe Franks from my understanding threw several touchdowns so you know we said it on the last show Felipe is going to be the guy coming out and nothing that Sam Pittman here says suggests anything different to me on the toughness that was displayed by the by the Razorbacks and obviously Sam Pittman doesn't know how it worked last year in Fayetteville but he's got an indication that these guys have never quite practiced but he hints at the fact the players probably didn't practice this hard last year and then this uh this last comment I thought this was really interesting on the SEC kind of being like the NFL and you know, sometimes, you know, it's true. It seems like whenever a coach gets fired in the SEC, as long as it's not for some kind of scandal or something, I mean, they resurface immediately. They pop up all around the SEC whenever a coaching hire is made. If the guy's got no SEC ties, that buy-in factor's not always completely there. So there's something to be said for everything Sam Pittman's got to say here, but I just thought it was pretty cool that he compared it to kind of coaching in the NFL and those you see the, these retread NFL hires made time and time again. You see basically the same thing in the SEC, and it's all about having that experience and entrusting coaches that have been there and know what they're getting themselves into because there's just no time for a learning curve at this level. Could you talk about how clean execution was, uh, play clock, just um, – uh, uh, ball security, just how it looked yeah. for you. 
you know, uh, we, we, we never really got into a situation where, well, we'd, we'd never delay the delay of game. Did we never, uh, we were close a couple times, but uh, we didn't have a problem with that. Uh, we dropped some passes, you know, uh, some critical situation passes that we certainly have to get better uh, catching the ball there. But they also turned around and made some uh, magnificent catches as well today. But we've got to catch that ball. We, we dropped a couple third down situations. Uh, um, we, we put the ball on the ground at least two times that I remember on fumbles, uh, a couple of jarring hits out of there. Um, but you know, that has to improve as well. But for a first scrimmage, I thought it was uh, well organized by our coaching staff and well played by the kids. Uh, uh, it was hot. We just, we got to get in better shape. Hey, Coach, I was wondering if you could tell us about how the quarterbacks played. I know Felipe had some touchdown passes. Just your impression. Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought they executed the offense, both of them, you know. Um, um, Felipe probably was his most accurate day. You know, um, KJ did a little bit more with his feet as well as Felipe, but KJ did a little bit more on the ground. Uh, but I thought both of them played well. Uh, certainly we missed a few throws that we have to make, make uh, in the future because, you know, every down is so critical. Uh, but I thought that both of them went in the two-minute drive and and went down the field and, and did a good job in that and a good job of orchestrating the offense in both those situations. So we had really doubled earlier in two minute on offense and uh, they did a little bit better today. Hey Sam, uh, you've talked in the past about wanting to have a tough blue collar football team. I'm wondering if you liked what you saw today in that regard. I did, I liked the way we, you know, we chased the ball early. Like I said, we're just not in good enough shape yet, you know, and, and to play. I don't think, honestly, I'm not positive that our kids were quite ready for that type of a scrimmage, you know. Um, I don't know the scrimmages they've had in the past, but this was a very physical, long scrimmage. And, uh, and it just proved to us we're not quite in, in, in good enough shape uh, but I was proud of the way they chased the ball early. I was proud of the offensive line, how they protected today. I thought they did a nice job. And we've got some pretty good running backs. We've got some guys that will you know, can make people miss and, and guys that are tough. Coach, how do you get them in better shape, you know, after a couple of weeks here? And then also, is that made more difficult because of the practice being, you know, more spread out than what they normally are? I think it's a good point. I think the practice being spread is a good point. However, we do run, you know, uh, uh, whenever we lift, you know, as well. Uh, I think any time that you have that lengthy of a scrimmage and it's hot, uh, I'm not for sure that you're ever ready for it, whether it's mentally or physically. I think it's, you know, especially, you know how it was, you know how it is when you don't know what's coming and the next time you know exactly what the expectation is, how, how long it's going to be, how many, how many plays I have. Uh, I think the next one will be much better because the kids will have a better understanding of what a scrimmage here is like. But I think we just have to transition better on and off the field. We talked to them about it last week. I think we have to push ourselves, and a lot of it goes back to that mental toughness. I think we have to continue to express mental toughness in our program. 
And if we do, I think that'll help us in getting in shape as well because we'll, instead of jogging off, we'll, we'll run off the field. Uh, hey, Sam, how you doing? Um, I had kind of a, a big a big picture SEC question for a story I'm working on. I mean, most of the guys, head coaches in the league are SEC guys, longtime SEC guys like you. And it seems like even when guys lose their jobs, you know, Barry came here, Chad went to Auburn, uh, Matt Luke went to Georgia and replaced you. What do you think it is about the SEC that schools put such a premium on SEC experience? And it seems like – you know, the same guys are in the league that just kind of switch teams, you know? You know, it's a little bit. I'm not comparing it to the NFL in that aspect, but it's a little bit like the NFL. In the NFL, you see a lot of coaches just when they leave one school, they go to another one and this, that, and other. That's why a lot of coaches have a contract that, you know, they can't leave a SEC school to go to another one. Well, if, if the school fires them, obviously they'll have an opportunity to do that, but uh, it's just an elite league, and that was a big deal for me that I could get, you know, some SEC experience in here because recruiting's different, players are different, size is different, money's different, everything's different. SEC and and uh, you can't, it's really not any on-the-job training. It's hard because you don't understand how good the players are that you're getting ready to have and play against and. If you've been in the league, you certainly have a much better understanding of how hard it is to recruit and how hard it is to get the best players and coach those players and the demands that it has to be to have success in this league. I mean, you've coached, yeah. a, lot of, you've coached a lot of places, Big 12. I mean, not to knock anybody else, but is there any doubt the SEC just on a different level than everybody else? Well, I, you know, I don't know about all that. I mean, what I do know is that the SEC is – had more draft picks than any other conference by far over the last four or five many years. And uh, it's an elite league, and I don't, I'm not for sure anybody can hardly argue that. All right, so if I'm an Arkansas fan, I think I really appreciate these comments from Pittman because it does seem like, you know, in the past, maybe we're getting hyped up a little too much for what has been going on in the offseason. And Pittman here... You know, he's shooting it straight. He's keeping it 100. This team needs to get in better shape. We're not going to be able to win it playing like this. And that's not necessarily what you want to hear going right into the season. I mean, how much time do you really have to get into shape during a camp setting and all of that? But I appreciate Sam Pittman's honesty here. And I think Arkansas fans should appreciate that as well. And I think this is probably Coach Pittman trying to get a message out to his team. I mean, he's probably saying the same thing in that locker room, could turn around and discussing it with the media. Um, he, he seems like a very open book. I mean, I don't think he's going to he's gonna be one of these coaches that says one thing in the locker room and, and does a complete 180 in, in public. You know, he's not going to give away state secrets or anything, but there's something to be said for a guy that's very transparent and tells you how it is. There's no shades of gray with Coach Pittman. He'll tell you exactly what's on his mind, and that's what I, I really appreciate from uh, the new head man there at, in Fayetteville. Hey, one last thing before we move on from Arkansas. Anybody missed it? I tweeted it out, but uh, we've got to credit Nikki Chavanel. She works for the uh, Arkansas Rivals page, but she found video of this Arkansas quarterback commit Lucas Coley. And my God. 
I mean, I try not to get too hyped over these high school quarterbacks, particularly after just one week, but uh, he went on the, his season started over the weekend, and uh, Nikki tweeted out four plays featuring Lucas Coley. I think two or three of them were runs, and one was a just incredible pass. And this kid, I mean, he looks like exactly what you're wanting in a Kendall Bryles SEC offense. Big, physical, fast quarterback that really has a nice arm. So, and Coley's team, he led his team to a victory over uh, the winningest coach in Texas high school uh, currently. So, I mean, certainly long way from him even getting on campus and hadn't even signed with the Razorbacks. So, again, I'm not trying to hype him up too much here. But if and when he gets to Arkansas, is expected to play for Kendall Bryles and Coach Pittman. I just really – I don't know. It was just great to see football this weekend. I don't know. I was pretty fired up any and all highlights. But when you see a kid ball out like this, first game of the season – uh, that really caught my attention, and uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that Arkansas is getting a really, really good player here, Lucas Coley. All right, let's jump on down next to old Tuscaloosa. Roll Tide! Where Nick Saban reviewed Alabama's recent uh, weekend scrimmage there, and you know I thought it was pretty interesting. I'm sure Alabama fans know this by now, but Bryce Young, the freshman quarterback, did not play in the scrimmage, so you'd think... Well, this is Mac Jones's time to shine, right? Maybe not necessarily the case because after this one, that was my main takeaway. Nick Saban didn't have a ton of revealing information for the scrimmage, but he kind of, I don't want to say called out Mac Jones. I think the right word is probably challenged him to improve his play and his response to adversity. So, you know, maybe the defense had a little bit better of time than the offense here. Keep the buzz for Bryce Young burning even hotter. Not to say one scrimmage is going to determine it. I mean, Mac Jones has got you know much more experience than the freshman, obviously, at the collegiate level. But these are some interesting comments. And then, again, uh, Nick Saban talking about leadership and learning opportunities uh, during this time and during the camp opportunity. I thought this was some really good stuff from uh, Coach Saban. Uh, just starting off, what did you see from the quarterbacks out there today? Well, you know, Bryce didn't work today, um, and he'll be back on Monday. Uh, So I I think Mac did some good things. I think he had like, you know, three touchdown passes, and I don't know, he was 21 for 36. But um, I I just think Mac's got to play within himself, be confident, be positive, you know, not beat himself up when he makes bad plays. And, you know, that's part of the maturity level of a competitor that uh, his game experience is going to help him do. And, uh, I think his experiences leading up to the game will help him do as well. Um, I think, you know, the other guys, you know, they, they've got work to do, just pace of play, you know, speed of the game. You know, the game speeds up, the rush speeds up. you 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 got to be comfortable being uncomfortable with, um, you know, how fast the game goes. So uh, I think those guys are going to improve uh, with the experiences they have relative to that. I'm curious from a leadership perspective what doing the same job you've done at such a high level for so long either required or demanded of you as a leader, as a coach, that you've never experienced before. Well, but I think these are all opportunities to learn and grow and, you know, how, how do you sort of, you know, set a good example for 
you know, players, the people around you, um, how, how do you do things to serve them for their benefit? Um, you know, and, and I think that, you, you know, you got to bring people together, uh, which I've been pleased with the way our players have handled, you know, all these circumstances. They've tried to do it together as a team. Um, and they've been pretty responsive in, in the way they've done it. But uh, all these things that, you know, come up are new challenges. But new challenges are also new opportunities, whether they're opportunities to learn, uh, whether they're opportunities to, uh, you know, figure out the best way to keep moving people along in a positive direction, uh, to keep their focus on, you know, things that are important uh, in terms of how they can really make change, uh, how they have to deal with the circumstances that they're in, uh, relative to COVID, I mean, there's 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 a lot of things happening right now, uh, but I think that creates a lot of opportunity for all of us in leadership positions to, you know, really send a positive message to uh, how can we make change. Uh, and we made a lot of change, um, you know, and for a long time, uh, we're certainly not where we need to be, but we certainly need to continue to uh, try to do things in a positive way so that we can create positive change and opportunities for folks down the road and do it in a safe way. All right, so read into that how you will. Mac Jones, maybe not quite living up to the billing, at least during this first scrimmage. We'll see if that remains to be the case moving forward. But if Saban has comments like this, and imagine on the other end, Bryce Young's tearing it up. The hype around that number one dual threat quarterback Bryce Young is just going to get that much more hotter down there in Tuscaloosa. But uh, again, I'm not reading too much into this. I think this is just more of Saban challenging Mac Jones a little bit here. If he can't take Saban, Saban challenging him here, he's not going to be able to handle a 10-game SEC slate. So maybe Coach Saban just trying to toughen his quarterback up a little bit here, get him to respond a little bit better to adversity. Just something to watch here. I mean, I thought that was kind of the biggest takeaway for me here and uh, following the first scrimmage down in Tuscaloosa. Looks like we might have a little bit more of a quarterback controversy than some of us thought. All right, listeners, don't forget uh, the podcast brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag. New customers receive a 100% deposit up to $1,000 using the promo code THATSEC. MyBookie.ag will double your initial deposit. All you got to do Put in that promo code, that SEC. You put in 100 bucks, they give you 100 on top of it. You put in 1000 they're going to put up 1000 So that's new customers all the way up to $1,000 will double your deposit. It's simple. Make your picks, win big, collect your cash over at mybookie.ag. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, parlays. Sign up now. Bet with the best. Celebrate your victory over at mybookie.ag. Once again, using that promo code, that S-E-C, T-H-A-T-S-E-C. Head on over to mybookie.ag. Winning season begins today only at mybookie. All right, next let's kick it down to Columbia, South Carolina, where the Gamecocks had themselves the first scrimmage of training camp. And this is obviously a program that's got a heated competition going on at the quarterback position. Colin Hill, Ryan Holinsky, Luke Doty even in there a little bit. So Gamecock fans eager to see who came out of this thing. And Will Muschamp, you know, I thought he was pretty open and pretty honest. Not letting the coaches get involved here. Not holding these quarterbacks' hand. We're getting closer to the season. We're under a month away from the start of the season. We can't be 
you know, coddling these quarterbacks much longer. So Will Muschamp does a dive on that. He's asked about uh, the possibility of playing multiple quarterbacks early in the season. He's open to that. And then, of course, with Marshawn Lloyd out, how do those running backs come in along? Will Muschamp also hit on that. I guess uh, getting your quarterbacks out for the first time sort of in that kind of setting, uh, how'd they kind of perform? Well, I, I was pleased with both. I'd like to watch the tape first. Uh, but uh, as far as functioning, we had a couple delay a game. But we need to correct those issues and understand where the clock is. Uh, but, you know, for the first time of the coaches, I told the coaches, do not come on the field. The guys got to manage things for themselves. I thought you know, we did some really good things. I thought both guys had really good command in the huddle of what we've got to do to be successful. Um, and I thought there were some explosive plays. I mean, the offensively, when, you know, I think our defense was very good in our red zone period and our third down period. And then when we went to the move the ball period, the offense kind of took over the scrimmage and a lot of explosive plays. And really the offense, when they did stop themselves, it was because of some self-inflicted, you know, issues from jumping off sides and false starts and things like that. Uh, so it was kind of a back and forth scrimmage, which was good. Hey, Will, what are the chances do you think that you could want to intentionally play both of your quarterbacks, you know, in the first couple of games to just kind of see how it goes? Well, Gene, we're going to do what it takes to win. It means playing both guys. It means playing Luke Doty at quarterback some. We're going to do what it takes to win, and that's what we're committed to doing for our team. The running backs today, did those guys – get kind of tossed in with the first group or? Yeah, we just, we're rotating those guys through. Rashad Amos uh, had a couple nice runs for a young guy. He's, he can really see the inside zone well, in my opinion, the duo play. Um, he makes nice cuts. He gets north and south. He's got to hang on to the football. He, he was loose a couple times, and we, we can't tolerate that. He won't play if he turns it over. Uh, but, but I thought Kevin and Deshaun both uh, got some positive run and moving move the pile. Yep, I thought all, you know, those, all three of those guys showed up. Now, we're not very good right now up front defensively with our second and third group. we got to continue to improve there. We, we stunk. With, with those guys, will it just be sort of like the quarterback spot, just, just see who kind of shakes forward these next – Couple days, a week or so, to, to yeah. see how. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, not the next week, the next two weeks, the next four months. I mean, at the end of the day, they all got to be ready for the number to be called because you never know what's going to happen in, in any given situation. And all these guys got to be ready to play. I mean, we, we can't sit there and and think that we're just going to rep these two guys and get them ready. That's that's not the case. We we got to have all guys uh, on hand. That's why we're, we we rep the way we rep. And three different groups are getting opportunities and mixing the groups and commingling those guys and putting them with the first group, putting them with the third group. Um, so to continue to, to get those guys to come on for us. All right, well, at least Will Muschamp open to playing multiple quarterbacks. I think in reality, you really got to pick a guy and go with him. But I'll tell you why they could do that and still play multiple quarterbacks. And of course, that's because old Luke Doty. I mean, there's going to be a lot of packages for this kid, depending on how he progresses at receiver and quarterback. And now with the new NCAA rule of free eligibility, I mean, we could throw him out there in every game potentially and not necessarily as a starting quarterback but you put him on the field you just never know when he's going to throw the ball and he can you know I don't think he's going to be a full-time receiver but who knows maybe if he's an elite player for the Gamecocks maybe that comes into play but I think more in reality he's just helping out there while the team needs it and uh, unless the other two quarterbacks you know, our disasters, then we go to Doty. But uh, it certainly sounds like it's the opposite of that, where they may have two options here 
And with Doty out there, I don't know, I just think normally when you hear, oh, my God, multiple quarterback system, that could derail this whole thing. But South Carolina is just in such a unique position because they got – I know everyone's touting Hill as, you know, we've heard some players say, well, hell, he's got an NFL arm. I mean, I'll do respect to him. From what I've watched him at Colorado State, he's not going to be playing in the NFL. But Ryan Holinsky does legitimately have that arm talent, I think. He's just obviously not got the mastery of the playbook quite as well as Hill. He struggled at times last year for the Gamecocks, played well at other times. So, I mean, he's got the potential. But while South Carolina fans are going to want an answer on this thing, it could be a lot worse. could be like last year when you had one guy go down, next guy not really ready for his opportunity but forced into action. It seems like they're getting the complete opposite here where if, God forbid, one of these quarterbacks goes down, they've got potentially two other options to get in there and play. So I'm not freaking out yet if I'm a South Carolina fan. Plenty of time to get this thing resolved. But you know, based on what Muschamp was saying here of not helping these quarterbacks out, I think it's pretty clear he's talking about Holinsky because I don't think Colin Hill is going to need help from the coaches. Hell, I, I think it was Nick Muse said uh, Hill may have a better grasp of the system than Mike Bobo, which is kind of a ridiculous comment. But it, but it gives you an idea of <laughs> how well Hill's got this thing down. So I don't think Hill's going to be out there needing any assistant assistance all in the field. I think they're talking specifically about Ryan Holinsky. So that's something to monitor. Um, one other thing from Will Muschamp, he said Ortray Smith has – he has practiced a little bit, but he's been out for uh, some. He's dealing with some kind of issue. He would not. Will Muschamp would not get into what was necessarily wrong with Smith. Said it wasn't uh, the knee that was bothering him. That's all he would say. He said we expect him back. Hopefully, Ortray Smith's back out there because South Carolina desperately needs some receivers out there on the field. We're still waiting for the waiver for Jalen Brooks. We don't even know if he's going to be able to play this year. And it's already starting to sound like he's one of their better receivers, which is kind of troubling if we don't even know if he's going to play. But uh, one final thing. I just thought there was a really good comment here from Muschamp. Sometimes when this guy opens up, he really has some good stuff to say. But uh, all indications, Tony Dungy, one heck of a guy. Uh, I don't know anybody that's had an encounter with him and not been impressed by the uh, former Tampa Bay and Colts head coach. So Will Muschamp was asked about staff chemistry, and there's many different ways to skin a cat here. And uh, he, he kind of looks up to Tony Dungy the way he does. It's kind of I thought it was also interesting the fact Muschamp went with Tony Dungy because we all know <laughs> Coach Boob is about uh, anti-Dungy as it gets. But uh, hey, maybe at the, at their heart they're similar. Well, we've heard from the players about Mike's personality and coaching style on the field, and conversely. Joe Cox, who they say is more mellow than Brian McClendon was as a wide receivers coach. I was wondering, when you put together a staff, how much do you think about good cop, bad cop dynamic, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Um, I, I do think that there is something to that. I don't think that it, it, uh, on one side of the ball that, uh, that you can have all bad guys as far as, you know, uh, you know getting after a guy. Uh, you know, you got to – you know, we're going to coach the guys hard. And I always tell the guys, you know, at the end of the day, you got to coach them hard and you got to love them hard. And as long as they know that you – they have your you, – you have their best interest at heart, 
however your coaching style can be very effective. Uh, one of the, uh, a guy that I really look up to in this profession is a guy named Tony Dungy. He's never raised his voice in his coaching career from what I understood. Everybody that ever played for him, everybody that ever was around him, Mike Peterson, I mean, they just talked in terms of the respect that he commanded, and he didn't have to raise his voice. Um, I've worked with other coaches, Hall of Fame coaches, that raise their voices a lot. Um, but you don't always, and I always tell the players, don't listen to the tone, listen to the message. And there can be a good message conveyed from, uh, you know, uh, increasing the volume. And then there can be really good message from someone that maybe doesn't increase the volume as much. But I do think it is important to have a good mixture on your staff is what you're asking. And, I, and that is calculated in the hiring process of, you know, where are we going with this hire? But, I mean, Joe is a very good technician. I sat in his meeting, uh, I believe it was a day ago, uh, and listened to him coach the guys, and the detail that he has with the players is outstanding. Um, and he's a really good young coach. You know, not to call Muschamp out here, but uh, I think that is one of the issues he's had as a head coach is picking the right staff, particularly we all know offensive coordinators. So I don't know if he's the best guy to take advice from when it comes to staff chemistry and building that up. But, hey, if it works here with uh, Bobo and Cox, I mean, then we'll be, I'll be changing my tune real quick. But at, at least based on these comments, it sounds like he's going down the right road He's just got to finally make that right decision. All right, let's kick things down to Athens. To where Georgia held their first scrimmage of training camp. I got to be honest, I was surprised at uh, Kirby Smart's response here. He doesn't sound very pleased with his Bulldogs. Keeps hitting at the fact they're behind on the times. But, uh, of course, we all know the roster that Kirby's got to work with. So I think this might be a little bit of the coach kind of getting on his guys to Stop reading their press clippings of Jamie Newman's going to win the Heisman and Pickens is going to win the Bolitnikoff and we got the 85 Bears on defense, but uh, that's not the way Kirby's seeing that one. So uh, he really hinted at the fact that the Bulldogs are behind and I loved his comments on just being thankful to have a scrimmage, aren't we all at this point, given this crazy wild offseason we just had. He gives an update on his quarterbacks. Uh, some scrimmage highlights. I thought he, his comments will kind of echo those from uh, Mark Stoops coming up later. And then finally on uh, Dom Blaylock being lost for the season, Kirby Smart talks. So that's kind of heartbreaking stuff here. But it sounds like uh, Blaylock's got the right attitude, uh, really committed to continuing his career. He's got confidence that he's going to do it. And I can't wait for Blaylock to finally return to the field and tear it up for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I'll just start by asking um, your overall impressions and specifically uh, how you guys operated with the quarterbacks in terms of ones and twos and, and how uh, you know they looked. Uh, overall impressions, we're behind. Uh, I don't know that I've ever come out of a first scrimmage and, and felt good. Uh, I'm happy we got to scrimmage, to be honest with you. Um, between the, the injuries, um, COVID going on with different teams and different programs, um, the social injustice issues that, uh, that we're dealing with in our country and our players are, are dealing with, um, the thoughts of those things. I, I'm really proud and happy that we were able to go out and scrimmage. Um, but just looking at the scrimmage as a whole, we have a long way to go. We look like a team that didn't go through spring practice. Um, we look like a team that is young at a lot of positions. Uh, uh, we were really sloppy, to be honest with you. Uh, the, 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 I guess the thing I was most proud of is that it was pretty hot 
and they pushed really hard. And we have been harping on mental toughness and um, practice effort. And we really haven't had good practice effort. And then today I thought, you know what, these guys got tired. They pushed through. Um, we conditioned at the end of practice, and they really pushed through that. So that part made me proud. Our team stuck together and pushed. But the actual execution was poor. Going back to your quarterback question, um, I'm pretty sure we had every quarterback go with the ones at one time. Um, I don't think Stetson got to go with the ones. Uh, Stetson did a good job in the groups he did go with. Uh, Jamie operated with the ones, um, and JT operated with the ones. And then uh, Dewan got a uh, red area series um, with the ones as well. Um, but the reps came out pretty balanced. Um, other Stetson had a little bit fewer because we, we had seen Stetson a lot more. We know a lot more about Stetson in terms of his time spent with us last year. Kirby, um, on quarterbacks, has the development so far and JT's health, has that muddled the picture any for your all's timetable and, and what you all think you're going to do there? Or are things kind of progressing the way you'd like? Well, no, I'd like for every one of them to be successful and do well. The, the tough thing is, you know, going against our defense day in and day out, uh, putting things in that we didn't have a spring to go through. I think offenses traditionally start out a little slower uh, than defenses. That's just the way it always been in football. Uh, but the last probably three to four days, there's been ray of light. There's been more plays made. Um, certainly today when they went against the twos, which they don't – one offense doesn't always go against the twos. There was a lot of ray of light. There was guys scoring left and right. So, um, But I don't think anybody's separated, if that's what you're asking. And as far as the timetable for that, I, I don't have a timetable for that. It, it's it's got to happen. You know, JT is not cleared still. I know you all think he's – cleared or you, what you think of as cleared but cleared to me is I can go out and play a full game of tackle football um, so yeah he gets to scrimmage but he doesn't uh, he wouldn't be cleared for a game in terms of contact yet so that you know that that, that factors in the decision then also the other guys um, what they can do with their feet you know that's, sometimes that's a tough measurement at quarterback um, unless you go live with those guys so we haven't uh, we haven't had anybody separate yet yeah can you just talk about some of the I don't know, I know you said sloppy, but were there some plays that you would highlight or some players that, that you might highlight for plays or effort? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, Mike, because I know as media, you want to, you know, you want to highlight someone. I want to give you that information, but for every one of those highlights, there's a low light on the other side. So for every sack, somebody got beat, and I don't know exactly – you know, who got beat. Um, I don't know exactly who had the most sacks because I don't have statistics and I haven't got to watch the tape. Um, there were several long runs. James and Zamir both had good runs, mostly against the second-team defense. But, I mean, on a beating defensive guy, there was a mistake. You know, the guy misfit it. So it wasn't like they went out there and broke 18 tackles. They they went untouched for 50 yards or 60 yards. And uh, to the to the normal eye, that's – a great run, but to me, it's a it's a it's a mistake. In the same way, on some of the pressures guys made. So, you know, really the one offense kind of dominated the two defense. The 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 one defense dominated the two offense, and you're like, okay, that's great. And then we went ones on ones, and it was a little more balanced. There were a couple three and outs, but the ones one offense also sustained a drive down and made some plays. So 
I thought it was very competitive when it was one on ones on ones. It was very lopsided when it was twos on ones. And uh, I don't I don't feel like there was a lot of big plays in the passing game. Like the the we've had some big vertical plays in the passing game in practice. We didn't really have that today. The explosives we had today were runs and sloppy missed tackles. Yeah, Coach, I don't think we got a chance to hear from you on uh, Dom Blaylock. It sounds like a really unfortunate uh, development. And then maybe if you could just uh, give us an idea of what that wide receiver core is shaping up like. Yeah, Dom's uh, – we released a statement, you know, it's just very unfortunate. Dom worked as hard as anybody I have ever seen. And Ron Corson – I mean, he's probably had 50 ACLs in his time here. He's never seen somebody work as hard as he did. He likened it to what Nick Chubb went through. He did so much work, prepared so hard. Um, Dom, Dom's got such a great, you know, family at home, and it just hurts for a kid like that to to get out there. He was on a rep count when he went back out there. I think it was like the third or fourth rep. There was nobody even around him. Um, it was a, a weird deal. He just caught the ball and, and planted and turned, and, and uh, it was a non-contact ACL, and very unfortunate. But, you know, that's what's so special about Dom. I reached out to him right away, and he said, Coach, I'm going to be back. I'm going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to push through it. Uh, he's such a fiery competitor, and, uh, you know, I'm excited to see him get back. All right, so how about that from a whole Kirby? I mean, he's a little bit pe- pessimistic there. We got Dan Mullen on, on the other end here saying we're going to win the – we got the championship contenders, and then here we got Kirby saying, you know, we suck, we're behind. <laughs> I think that's just the uh, psychology of coaching here because we all know, obviously, I think more people at this point picking Georgia to win Florida, Georgia to win the East than anybody else. So uh, Kirby letting his players know, and, hell, he's got the depth to kind of call out anybody and everybody who's not getting it done because – there in Athens, if you ain't getting it done, the guy behind you, if he has a good day, he'll pass you right up on the depth chart. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I thought, you know, he keeps kind of hinting at the fact that old JT Daniels far removed from actually being able to play in a game here. So that's kind of interesting. Does that mean it's Jamie Newman's job? I think it. I think that's exactly what it means at this point because, I mean, based on all the hype around JT Daniels, if he's 100%, I don't think Kirby would be out here kind of downplaying his status, if that makes sense. Like, I think the only reason – I th- it's almost like Kirby, you know, the Bulldogs really are getting what they wanted from Jamie Newman. That's how I read the situation. Like, he's the clear starter. And JT Daniels may be so far behind at this point that, uh, you know, he's throwing it out there that, hell, this kid's not even ready to play. Just wait till you see what old Jamie Newman's got prepared – and we may see JT Daniels by the end of the season, and who knows with this crazy Corona season, you may need to your your backup may start, you know, a couple of games here for any and all these teams. So it's definitely wise to have the depth. Georgia's got a loaded quarterback room, and hell, we don't even know if JT Daniels will be the backup. Could be Stetson, could be Dewan Mathis, could be Carson Beck. Who knows? But uh, I just think it's kind of interesting that Kirby keeps hitting at the fact that JT Daniels. Not 100% cleared, and that just really clears the the path to Jamie Newman to be the starter. You know, I thought there was some serious doubt to that as soon as uh, JT Daniels was added to the roster. I mean, why the hell else would he be adding him? And then he got his immediate eligibility. Now Kirby's kind of just pumping the brakes every chance he gets on the fact that uh, old JT, whether he's even eligible to uh, see the field based on his health, remember he – missed all last season outside of the first game to his knee injury. So 
These comments were interesting from Kirby. I think he's trying to get his team more focused, trying to get them better prepared because, uh, you know, I think Kirby demands excellence. And based on these comments, the Bulldogs are far from it. And the good news is they've got plenty of time to uh, get into round into shape, so to speak, for the season opener at Missouri. Next, let's kick it down to Lexington. Mark Stoops met with the media here over the weekend and you know, he was pretty fired up talking about Terry Wilson and having that extra recovery time. And who knows? I mean, we all were disappointed when they pushed the season back to late September, but hell, it could prove to be invaluable for guys like Terry Wilson coming off this injury, getting this extra rehab time. And Stoops is out there trying to having to blow his whistle to end plays when I can only imagine how upset Terry Wilson probably is knowing he would have juked this guy or made this guy miss or, you know, he barely got a hand on me. Why are you blowing the whistle? But, you know, without a doubt, they're going to protect the quarterback down there in Lexington given everything that uh, he's had to deal with the last year or so and just how valuable he is to this team as, as a leader and everything. So uh, it's just fantastic to hear Terry Wilson making these strides. And then uh, similar to Kirby Smart here, you know, Mark Stoops asked to share the highlights and of scrimmage and camp and, and who all is doing well. And, uh, of course, this is like a fine line for these head coaches because if one part of your program is doing really well in these scrimmages, that means the other part's not doing well at all. So uh, it's looking beyond that, looking to the competition, the quality of football. And it certainly sounds like Mark Stoops, Outside of that, what was it, a 20, 25-yard run he said practice open with that one day. Outside of that, it sounds like it's going pretty well there for the Wildcats. Hey, Coach, what have you seen with, with Terry uh, in, in camp that I guess tells you the extra time off, um, you know, not practicing but just having more time to recover? How has that helped him? I think it's just given him more confidence, um, just that extra time with uh, rehabbing and training and lifting and running uh, to build up his legs and his body. Um, that, that time has helped. Um, the, the slow introduction to football, I believe, has to help. Uh, once again, you could go back two, three, four weeks and the, the time that they allowed us uh, to spend with our players and be out there with the football and no pads on but doing some things, that was a good introduction for them. Uh, then he had an opportunity to go back again and, and develop his body, lift, rehab, um, come back. And with these practices right now, um, it, it's different this year because, once again, we are not uh, forced to, to pack so many reps and so many practices into a week. Uh, so he has time to recover in between. I believe that has to help him. Uh, but he definitely looks comfortable. I'm, I'm pleased in there today with uh, – live bullets flying all around him and certainly he wasn't going to get hit but you still have some big defensive linemen and blitzes and pressures and people in his face and he looked very comfortable uh, both stepping up in the pocket and delivering the football uh, but also pulling it down and scrambling and buying time to throw the ball down the field or to pull it down and run and I definitely tried to have a quick whistle on that because I saw him opening up and running but I definitely want to go quick with that and and to be honest with you, I want to say he had four series and looked really good. And he had a couple long drives in there. And uh, I saw enough and, and, and pulled him and put some of the other guys in there. 
Hey, Coach, I was wondering at this point in the preseason, uh, is the offense along further or the defense between those two sides of the ball? That's always going to go back and forth. Um, you know, it's going to go back and forth. Um, I need to get in there and really study this film right now and take a good look at it. But, uh, you know, I, again, you've heard me say this before, but it's so true. Um, I'm looking for quality football, not one side having success because the other side missed an assignment or inept and do something wrong and just give it to them. I'd rather see competitive plays um, on, on each side. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for good, clean football. And, uh, you know, defensively, that's their alignment and assignment and getting, getting lined up right, having a proper assignment, fundamentally playing the game the way you want to see it played, uh, making clean tackles and making the offense earn their yards. You hate to see them give up explosives because we used poor technique or uh, somebody not doing what they're supposed to do and, and vice versa. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think we were perfect in that area today. But uh, overall, in general, I was pleased. Uh, sometimes early on in camp, it's, it's very sloppy. Uh, I saw some sloppy plays, but I also saw us regroup and get things together and fundamentally play the game the way it's supposed to be played. All right, so there it is from Coach Stoops. And like I said, I mean, this is something we keep hammering home, all these uh, non-Kentucky believers. This doesn't sound like a guy that has any doubt that he's got a quality, quality football roster and I didn't include these clips, but he even talked about the freshmen and how, you know, Mark Stoops is not one that uh, plays a lot of freshmen typically. And I think even this year they may be forced to because they've got so many talented freshmen. Now, they've got a pretty loaded roster, so it's not like the path to immediate starting time is going to be there, I don't think, for many of these freshmen or anything. So, But I think you'll see a lot of these guys in the two deep and the three deep and now that we're obviously in the 10-game SEC schedule, I think you're going to see a lot of more of these two-deep and three-deep players on a consistent basis because we ain't got these cupcakes to get into shape with, you know? the This could be the difference between Kentucky really challenging in the East, and we saw them obviously in the 2018 year where they won 10 games, but towards the tail end there, they kind of, I don't know if you want to say hit a wall, but that was a tough loss to Georgia. They turned around and, get, and, turned around and laid an egg against Tennessee, and... I think part of that is the fact that, you know, the, the first 22 on the team is probably a lot better than the second 22. And now I don't know that's necessarily the case with this Kentucky team. So depth and sustainability for the entire season, this this team may not have, you know, the NFL star potential, all SEC potential like they had with Josh Allen and Benny Snell, but hell, if you got that type of pr- production from a couple of players, maybe that's uh, maybe that's a key to Kentucky really contending in the SEC East race this year. All right, let's kick it down to old Rocky Top. Well, Jeremy Pruitt met with the media here recently, and he announced that uh, receiver D'Angelo Gibbs will not play this season. And he really chose his words carefully. He did not say this was a COVID opt-out. He said he was going to remain with the team. It's not like he's, you know, leaving the team. He's focusing on academics is the way Pruitt shaped it. So that's kind of an interesting development. I mean, this is a guy that uh, had a number of issues at Georgia. 
And, you know, there was times, is he off the team? Is he on the team? Now it seems like this has kind of followed him to Knoxville. So all that hype around D'Angelo Gibbs on the scout team, it looks like that's going to be for not this year. I mean, Tennessee desperately needs receivers to step up, and D'Angelo Gibbs nowhere to be seen for the ball. So hope, hope the best for the young men. But this is just a strange situation where, you know, the opportunity is there, and now he's not sticking around to see it out. So not sure what exactly is going on there. But Pruitt did get into more information on Jarrett Garantano and Harrison Bailey, much like uh, Jim Chaney the other day. So Pruitt sounds very high. And, and based on these comments, it's it's pretty clear. Tennessee's going to roll with Garantano once again. He's showing them what they need to see in training camp now. Obviously, the big question with Garantano is, is, will that actually translate to the field this time? Because we've heard all these things, I feel like, for several years now. But uh, that's going to be the million-dollar question on Rocky Top. Harrison Bailey, you know, obviously he missed a little bit of the, the training camp, the opening of training camp. He was in quarantine. Now that's off, and he's back on the field. He's impressing. But you can really kind of tell from Pruitt's comments, and I think from – Cheney's the other day that, you know, this would be a typical redshirt year for a guy like Harrison Bailey. Maybe he'll see the field a little bit, but I don't think he's going to start a game. I really don't think he will this year. And then, uh, you know, obviously Pruitt's, Pruitt's a defensive guy. So this challenging year, we're going to need guys all over the field that can play multiple positions. And for the first time at the Jeremy Pruitt area, he's, they probably got guys all over that defense, you know, first level, second level, third level that can I don't want to say masters, you know, all the positions, but can rotate in and out. Maybe, you know, one week we need this guy to start at inside linebacker. Next week we need him outside. Uh, And this defensive back, we need him at safety this week. We need him at nickel the next week. Then we need him at outside corner the next week. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty with all this Corona stuff and the 10-game SEC schedule. This could be the year where, I mean, Tennessee's defense just keeps getting better under Pruitt, but I think it could really take a next step in that right direction considering how many players on this side of the ball seem to, uh, I don't want to say buying in because I think they were buying in the whole time, but maybe just have a better understanding and a grasp of the system. And these are basically all Pruitt guys now at this point. Jeremy, what has impressed you the most so far with Jared Garantano, and what have you seen out of Harrison Bailey? Well, Jared um, has a really good feel for what we're trying to get done offensively. Uh, not only does he know what he's supposed to do, he has a good understanding for every position on the field. Uh, he can coach the guys. Uh, he's doing a nice job taking care of the football, working on his consistency, his footwork, decision-making. Uh, so he's had uh, six really good days you know Harrison uh, didn't practice for the first couple of days uh, but um, at our last practice I thought he had a period there to where uh, he really kind of shined uh, taking care of the football getting the ball out of his hands uh, just like any any freshman he, he needs tons of reps uh, he needs it at the speed that the game is in college and you know the the more reps he gets the better he'll get just like uh, any other young player. So he just got to continue to get opportunities. Hey, Coach, uh, whether it's Quivaris Crouch or Sean Schamberger, it seems like you have a lot of guys on your defense that can play multiple positions. 
how much of an advantage is that versatility in a year with COVID and kind of all the uncertainty that that causes? Well, one thing that um, always helps in any year is guys that, that have knowledge um, and, you know, and, and have experience. Uh, so if you understand the big picture, it uh, gives you an opportunity to be at your best. Uh, it can help you make the players around you better. It creates value for you as a player uh, to be able to play multiple positions. And we have lots of guys within our program that can do that, uh, whether it's playing, you know, corner and star and money uh, as a defensive back or safety and star and money, uh, at linebacker playing inside and outside or a D lineman that can play all across the front or an offensive lineman that can play, you know, two or three positions. Um, you know, or a wide receiver that can play multiple positions. So it just creates value for them, and it's something that we do conceptually as we continue to install, as, as we teach things conceptually so the guys get the big picture. All right, so you listen to those comments from Jeremy Pruitt, and it's pretty clear to me that uh, Garantano is going to be the guy, like I said, but if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'm pretty fired up to hear these comments on the defensive players. You know, Pruitt's not – a guy that uh, huge on praising everybody and their mother, but uh, it, it certainly sounds like he's very happy with uh, the progression of his defense, just the overall knowledge of these defenders. And while there is a leadership to be replaced, guys like Nigel Warrior and uh, Daniel Petuli off to the NFL, it's not necessarily like those guys were stars before Pruitt arrived anyway. You know what I mean? So they've got guys just as talented waiting in the wings now they got to step up and become leaders on this defense. I think it goes without saying that uh, he'll find the right guys and, and get them to do the right thing. All right, final stop around the league. Let's jump on down to Starkville, where Mike Leach updated us on uh, the quarterback competition. Certainly sounds like K.J. Costello still the lead guy down there. So, I mean, if anything, they're hyping up this Will Rogers kid, the true freshman. I've heard Leach talk more about Rogers than I have Garrett Schrader and that's not necessarily a surprise considering that Leach was on this kid when he was coaching Washington State. So uh, this is a guy that fits his system very well. But we still got a long way to go in this competition. So let's not write Garrett Schrader off just yet. And then, uh, you know, the one position, probably the last position on, on the offensive side of the ball that gets attention in a Mike Leach offense is the running backs. But hell, we all know Kylan Hill, he may be the best running back in the SEC, so how's he going to factor into this? He didn't necessarily shout out Kylan Hill, but you got to know he's talking about Hill when he's asked about the running backs and how they are with their uh, running their routes and being receivers and how they're fitting into the offense. It sounds like Mike Leach very, very pleased with the progression of these running backs in his first camp here at Mississippi State. Coach, obviously, you got a pretty deep running back I've been impressed. I've been impressed, and I thought that uh, <clears throat> I would say we're a little ahead there of what I expected. Um, you know, they have good body control, and they do catch the ball well, and uh, <clears throat> generally they do a good job of keeping their hands in the same place, and I think that uh, and the other thing I have to say is I think they, they're running routes better perhaps at this point than I thought they might. How much, how much competition have the price of running back 
Quite a bit, quite a bit. They're very explosive guys. And then the other thing is, is they've been uh, fairly quick learners. One thing is, uh, you know, they're not intimidated to compete. I think that's the first step, you know, doing uh, what got you here really well, I think will give you the best opportunity to improve. And sometimes, you know, guys will, you know, they, they, they'll go out there like young guys, a little intimidated over things, but these guys don't do that. situation and uh, which of those guys, I know you had mentioned that, that KJ and Will and Garrett were kind of seem to be getting some of the most reps. How, how's that kind of shaking out right now? Uh, we're, we're doing the same thing currently. Um, I think that uh, KJ's ahead and then, uh, you know, but we're trying to, you know, see as much as we can out of, uh, out of uh, Schrader and, and uh, Will, you know, at the same time. But again, we're going to have to pare that down too. Uh, he's practicing, and then any other issues we're addressing in, uh, internally. Coach, how close are you to, to settling the depth chart, and then what position battles are you kind of really keeping an eye on right now? Uh, I, I can't say we're close to it. We're tapering in on it, you know. So um, uh, without a spring, I think that's made it a little more challenging. Um, but, you know, that's uh, one of our biggest challenges right now is to define the depth chart so that, uh, <clears throat> you know, we can uh, channel the, the reps into the guys that we're going to play the most with. Um, and if you don't do that, you'll successfully make everybody mediocre. So, um, yeah, you got to make some tough decisions and you got to, you know, this is different than a PE class. you got to uh, invest the reps in the guys that, uh, you know, uh, are, are going to, be important to you to go out there and win so all right so on a recent episode we got old steve spurrier jr hyping up the receivers now we got leach hyping up the running backs and we all know what these quarterbacks do in a mike leach system there's no need to hype them up they've been hyped up you know to an insane level here but hey this is what you want to hear and this has got to give you some added confidence that mississippi state's offense is really Going to come out firing here straight out of the gate against LSU. Not saying they're going to just light up LSU, but if you're going to match up Mike Leach's system against Bo Pelini, I got to favor Mike Leach in that matchup. And if everything's true when it comes to these running backs and these receivers, I don't think it's going to take very long for Mississippi State to get off the ground running. Not to say they're just going to light up the SEC immediately or by any means, but I don't know. Of course, as Shane would say, heard the same thing about Joe Moorhead's offense. <laughs> but this is a new era. This is a different coach, a different system. And uh, Mike Leach, everywhere he's been for damn 20-something years, 25, 30 years, the offense has followed. So I've just got more and more confidence each time this guy opens his mouth talking about the offense. I'm pretty fired up and ready to see it down there in Starkville. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Next episode, I think we're going to get uh, Cousin Joe on the show, share his recent thoughts on the going on around the SEC. Uh, he's going to step up a little bit here with Shane. I don't believe Shane's going to be on the next one, but like I said, Shane will still be on the pod here and there. He's said he's going to be on at least uh, two a week. So I don't know if he's, Counting this as a mulligan, or if this was one of the two. 
So he's still going to be around. Hopefully this will be one of the last times I'm just solo here doing the pod, but really wanted to get this information out there to you guys. Hope you're not too upset with us for uh, the lack of uh, the back and forth here, but there's so much scrimmage updates from around the SEC. Really wanted to give you guys something to start your Monday off. And my goodness, guys, we're now we're entering week three of training camp. And man, as this thing just gets closer and closer, I feel it, I sense it. And that Saturday night, watching the game, purple versus red, whoever in the hell they were, it was entertaining. And I just cannot fathom what it's going to be like when the SEC takes the field for the first time after months and months and months of everyone telling us it wasn't going to happen. Remember, who kept the faith? It was everybody listening to this show. We never did. Maybe gotten dicey there for a minute, but <laughs> while so many were ready to call it quits on this season, we never gave up. Still keeping it true. SEC podcast, we're going to continue on. And uh, if, if you made it this far, if you wouldn't mind just going that step further, giving us a five-star rating and review, that really does help the show out. And, and Shane, at the end of the week, he's going to read those reviews. I'll make him. I'll drive down to his damn house and get him on this pod get them to read these reviews if I have to it's a three-hour drive but that's the commitment we're really to make here for all, everyone each and every one of y'all that leaves us a review we really do appreciate those and hey I put in a, a new order for some more koozies so we're gonna have koozies with the updated team specific logos hopefully pretty soon so get your reviews in if you want a koozie and uh, we'll be sending photos of those as soon as we get them. But hey, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in and, and bearing with me here with this solo pod. I know it's not as good without Shane, but hey, let them know. Let them know how much you miss them. Maybe that'll be the key to getting them on here as often as we can. But that's going to do it on this one. As always, thanks for joining me. And we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>